Good morning, friends and the Pillar community. My name is John Upkenorth, and it is a privilege and honor to be with you today on the first Sunday of 2023. It was six years ago today that I started a new role as president of Words of Hope, and my wife Anne and I made our home in West Michigan and have been enfolded by Pillar. And we love Pillar because it truly is a place where your name is known, your story is heard, and your questions are honored, and you'll get a piece of all of that today. One of the things I want to say is thank you for your support and your blessing of the ministry of Words of Hope. Words of Hope exists to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the heart languages of the world near and far, 70 heart languages of some of the hardest to reach places on earth, and because we just celebrated Christmas, and Christmas is a season of joy and good news for the world, I want to tell you just one little story about a place where your efforts have made such a huge impact over the years. It was three decades ago that a man from Holland named Bill Brownson came from Words of Hope to Uganda to a little village of the Barikuku people. He met there a young man named Titus Baraka, who he later, two decades ago, arranged to come to Western Seminary in Holland to get a master's in theology. Titus went back to Uganda and 15 years ago started a gospel broadcast over FM radio in that country in his native cuckoo language. On November 13, I was there. Uh, this just passed a few month, a few a few weeks ago, and this is how they welcomed me. that amazing? They are known for the way they welcome outsiders who come to visit or really anyone who shows up at their church. Now, when they first heard the gospel 15 years ago on the radio, they weren't all that excited because they are a marginalized people. When the powers that be drew the line uh, separating South Sudan and Uganda, they cut right through their tribe and they were marginalized. South Sudan didn't want them, Uganda didn't want them, and they were very content being alone. They were afraid that the gospel message or that the, would expose their presence in the country and lead to all kinds of problems. In fact, it did just the opposite. As people began to respond, they discovered and started to add up the villages and communities and found that there were a quarter million of them living in the country. The government began to recognize them. In fact, the government made them citizens, gave them passports after several decades of living in the shadows. And last January, a Bible translation organization came to them and said, we hear there's no Bible in the cuckoo language. And so over the last year, a beginning project has started, and within the next three to five years, they will have the New Testament in their own language. You'd be happy too. 
it's just a testimony of how God's word is alive and active and truly transforms society. And you, Pillar, are a part of that story. So on behalf of all of them, thank you for your prayers and your faithful contributions and support for the word. Now, as we come to the word today, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may your word bring as much joy to us as we hear it as to the cuckoo people as they have heard it. And Lord, may it shine on us in such a way that it changes us, that the trajectory of our life is altered even as some magi left a far country to find the one who was born king of the Jews, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Another part of my story is that um, I'm also known as the father of Nicole, who's a missionary with Reformed Church Global Mission in Nicaragua, and she's going to read for us the gospel portion of scripture today. Good morning, beloved Pillar community. My name is Nicole Uckenarth, and I am one of the RC missionaries you support. Um, I'm currently serving in Nicaragua. Uh, Pastor John, my dad, asked me to share my greetings with you um, and read the message for today. So we'll be reading Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the son who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I, too, may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose was went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of frankincense, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord, friends. By the way, I'll be going to see Nicole in two weeks. So if you have something you want to send along, send it with me and I'll bring it to her on January 13th. Um, I said Pillar is a place where your name is known, your story is heard, and your questions are honored. A question that has been working inside of me as we've celebrated Advent here is a, a, a vamp on the question that Pastor John and our preachers have led us in how beautiful the world could be. It comes from Viktor Frankl seeing a sunset at a Nazi concentration camp, as Pastor John shared last week. But I began to ask the question, what would be different in your life if you really could see even a glimpse of how beautiful the world could be, how beautiful it could be if 
all life was reconciled to God and each other through Jesus Christ. How beautiful it would be if Adam and Eve had not sinned in the garden. How beautiful it one day will be when the one who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. How would your life be different? How would our life as a church be different as we catch even a glimpse of what the ancients longed for? I mean, this is what Moses wanted at Mount Sinai in Exodus 33. Please show me your glory, he cries out to God. It's Elijah in the cave after Mount Carmel and Jezebel chasing him down, wondering where God is. David in Psalm 27 asking, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. And it might be your own longing today. In the pain you suffer through or the lament of loss that clings to your soul, Whatever evidence of sin's curse you know all too well. Please, Lord, show me your glory. Some in the tapestry of Scripture did get a glimpse. Isaiah, in the king that the year that King Uzziah died, saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Zechariah, when he saw the angel in the temple, when he brought the sacrifice and heard the prophecy of his son John being born, Mary meets the angel Gabriel, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Paul, on the road to Damascus, saw a bright light that altered the trajectory of his life, and the Magi saw a star in the sky that told them something about the king of the Jews, even a glimpse alters the trajectory of our lives. I'm, I'm learning to pray for that glimpse in my life and in the life of all that I meet. It was six years ago that I met with the predecessor to my predecessor at Words of Hope, Bill Brownson, in his Freedom Village apartment. And there, knowing that he was a man of great prayer, I just asked him for counsel in how to pray. And he said, John, I've come to a point in my life where there are no more small prayers. I'm only praying big prayers. Oddly enough, I was in the home of his son, Jonathan Brownson, two weeks ago, and this sign was in the room that he prays in. And he said, you've got to see the sign. As I told him, I was going to tell this story at Pillar on January 1. And you can see the sign in the picture. But uh, Bill said no small prayers. He said only Ephesians 3 kind of prayers. I was delighted because Ephesians 3 is my, my life chapter, if you will. Ephesians is the book that I have pledged to learn like no other and have immersed myself in and delight. And so I was excited when he said that. And today I want to give you another portion of scripture of what Paul prays for in that big prayer of Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now as we get ready to circle back to the Magi and come to the table, just a few things for us to think about. One is to observe what Paul actually prays for and why he prays for it. A second is the staggering beauty of the gospel. And a third would be how it alters the trajectory of our lives. Uh, I, I just I want us to see what he actually prays for. It's a big prayer, the height and length and breadth and width of, of the love of Christ, to know that love that surpasses knowledge and, and God can do immeasurably more. All of that is really big. But the core of his prayer is for strength. It's for strength. He twice that he prays that out of the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. And then verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is it about the answer to that prayer that requires strength? There is something evidently about the beauty of the gospel that when we even catch a glimpse of it, we will grow weak in the knees and faint almost at its beauty. I mean, Paul, when he saw the glory of God on the road to Damascus, went blind for three days. Zechariah went mute for nine months. As Isaiah became acutely aware of his sin and fell on his face in the glory of the Lord. Something about it is so beautiful. Before our triplets, Nicole is one of our triplets. We have four children total. But before they could walk, we made a trek from Muskegon, Michigan to Estes Park, Colorado. We were outnumbered as parents, and so we brought with us a nanny named Lisa, a recent grad of Hope College and an elementary teacher who had summers off so she could help us coordinate all the kids. Lisa had never traveled west of the Mississippi. We were going to the Rocky Mountains. I said she might want to bring a camera. Now, this was in the days before our phones were our cameras, or our cameras had phones, or however that works out. You actually had to buy something called film. She had brought with her four rolls of 24 exposure Kodachrome film. And as we made our way from Loveland up Big Thompson Valley to Estes Park, some of you probably have been there, every curve in the valley becomes more beautiful. Lisa would say, John, you got to stop. i got to take another picture. i say, Lisa, you might want to save some film for when it gets better. No, it is better. i got to take it now. By the time we reached Estes Park, she had burned through 96 pictures of her film, and she had to buy more. So staggered was she by the beauty of God's glory in creation. Friends, this is something about the beauty of God's glory 
in the gospel that ought to cause us to say, stop. Let me take a picture. Let me soak it in. Let me absorb it. The beauty of God's glory in Jesus is so staggering. Moses' face shone so brightly that people required him to cover his face with a veil. That's what I'm praying for for us. Uh, Verse 3 of crown him with many crowns has the second half of that hymn that says, no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. What is so staggering about the beauty of the gospel that it should cause us to, to want to be veiled by its brightness? or cause us to stagger and grow weak in our knees or limp in our hands before the presence of such beauty and majesty. Paul gets at it when he says in verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. It's the third time in Ephesians that he uses the phrase, for this reason. He does it before this in verse chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's a dash and he goes on to explain what, mystery, what the beauty of the mystery of the gospel is. But before that even, at the end of chapter 1, he says it again, verse 15, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And then he goes on and he asks that that God would reveal to them the wonders of the glories of Christ. And what we have in Ephesians 1 through 3 is the staggering beauty and majesty of the gospel. It is the glimpse, I think, of somehow that Paul saw on the road to Damascus, a glimpse somehow of what the Magi saw in the star so far away, a glimpse somehow of what Moses saw when the Shekinah glory of God passed before him on Mount Sinai. The end of Ephesians 1, the beginning of Ephesians 2, is a amazing parallel between the journey of Christ to the grave and, and, to the, and to the glory of the Father that is paralleled by each one who receives Jesus Christ as Lord. If you have a Bible and you want to look back to it or scroll on your phone to it, chapter 1, verse 20, Paul talks about the power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's an amazing thing that happens in chapter 2 because in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see the parallel? Christ is dead. God raises him. God seats him in glory. And then there's you and I. He says, you were dead, but God who is rich in mercy raised you up with Christ and then seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is good news. It is glory that is unmistakably beautiful and staggering in its majesty. Our knees probably ought to grow weak and our arms grow limp. Who are we that we should hear the gospel? When Paul says you were dead, he does not say you were like a dead man. He says you were dead. 
How does a dead person ask for help? If you or I were jumping off of the Holland State Park Pier in the summer and were struggling between the swells of the waves and beginning to drown, we might raise our hand and cry for help. If we had a difficult diagnosis, we might search for a doctor who could help us and provide us some hope of a cure. If we're in a car accident today, our smartphone can alert the authorities that there's been an accident can immediately send for help. But a dead person cannot ask for help. It's only because God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, can make us alive in Christ to hear the gospel. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith, friends. And Paul says in chapter 2, it's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is staggering in its beauty and its majesty. And it's not simply personal. There is an entire corporate dimension that Paul talks about in chapter 3. It's not just about you and I being saved. It's about you and I, Gentiles and Jews, near and far, being woven into the family of God, reconciled in one body through the cross and through one spirit to have access to the same Father. This is what we have been given in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And somehow, chapter 3, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's something about the imperfect bride of Christ, even pillar, that God is trying to display to the world in the church. It's why, by the way, I believe now more than ever, the local church matters. Because through reconciled people gathered in the body called the church, God is making himself known, not just in the communities in which we live, but somehow made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that God is at work. Are you catching a glimpse? If we truly comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, if we truly know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, if we're given even a glimpse of what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God, how might it change our lives? How might it alter the trajectory to the powerful it represents a threat. Herod, learning that there was someone born king of the Jews, sought to destroy it and to kill every single child boy born in Bethlehem. Even today, when rulers come against and see the glory of God, they resist it. If you're powerful or in a position of power, and someone more powerful than you is revealed, it will undoubtedly be a threat. 
but to the marginalized like the barikuku or to the pain-filled or to the weary world that longs for a glimpse of glory just to catch it is joy. Moses could go and serve his people and bring them to the promised land. Isaiah could prophesy words that were hard to hear but necessary. Paul, with the vision on the road to Damascus, led him to be able to say that it was for joy that he spent time in prison so that people would know the surpassing greatness of God in the glory of Jesus And somehow I am convinced that the wise men, when they saw the star that led them to Bethlehem, caught some sort of glimpse to understand Jesus is the Messiah. It altered the trajectory of their journey, traversing hundreds, maybe thousands of miles to come to Bethlehem. And what did they do? They offered the best of their gifts, and they bowed in worship, and they gave glory to God. In fact, Matthew's gospel, if you will read it, is written in part to demonstrate and prove that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is worthy of worship and the Magi are the first of the nations to come who will be part of that multitude of every tribe and language and people and nation revelation who forever worship the glory of the Lamb in the center of the throne. What will you do with the glimpse that you have? One of the things I love about Pillar is that we come to this table every week and somehow in the broken body and the poured out blood, these beautiful symbols of the new covenant in Christ, we are offered the opportunity to catch a glimpse and to go out into the world and to change the trajectory of someone's life. Friend, may you and I be the kind of people who catch a glimpse of the glory of God in such a way that it will alter the trajectory of our own journey this year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, now take your word and seal it in our hearts. May we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.